Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Here is Derek Thomas. Salvation Army Band. Pop Fisher? Who wants to know? I'm Roy Hobbs, your new right fielder. My what? Right here. Scotty Carson sent you here? That's right. Must be nuts. Where do they find these guys, Red? Fella, you don't start playing ball at your age, you retire. Where do he find you? The Heber Oilers. The Heber Oilers? I never heard of them. I'm semi-pro. Semi-pro. Schultz, go warm up. Did you ever play organized ball in your life? I just got back in the game. Welcome to the Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Today is the fourth installment of the Monday Morning Critic Movie Loft, or the MMC Movie Loft. We are going to look at and examine in detail the 1984 movie The Natural, directed by Barry Levinson, starring Robert Redford, Robert Duvall, Glenn Close, Barbara Hershey, Wilford Brimley, and Kim Basinger. The movie's runtime is 138 minutes. The director's cut goes 144, and on IMDb, the movie gets a 7.5, a criminal 7.5 out of 44,000 votes. Uh, again, um, sports movies, and I've said this a thousand times, but sports movies are a lot like comedies. Um, they are very underrated, very underappreciated, very overlooked, and I don't understand why or how. It, it is infuriating, and um, I don't know how you give what, in my opinion, what is the potentially best sports movie in history a seven and a half. I mean, if you have time in five to ten minutes in your day, just think of movie random movies in your head from all genres and look at what they got on IMDb and you compare compare them to the masterpiece that is the natural and it's it's just criminal. It's it's kind of gross. But my opinion. Uh, the natural is based on Bernard Malmood's novel by the same name, came out in nineteen fifty-two. Uh, This is one of the most interesting stories you'll ever hear. Uh, The Natural is based on a true story. It is based on the life of Eddie Whitekiss. He was a star prospect with the Philadelphia Phillies who was the victim of an obsessed 19-year-old fan named Ruth Ann Steinhagen. And this is all true, by the way. Um, So you have Eddie Wakeus, the star prospect. You have this 19-year-old that's obsessed with him. Um, She has a shrine of him in her bedroom. Um, She made her mother set a place for Eddie at the table when they ate dinner. Um, Clearly, Eddie was never coming, but that's a little frightening in itself. And to make a long, long story short... She leaves a note with a bellhop at a hotel for Eddie Waitkiss um, saying, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you something right away. Eddie Waitkiss gets the note after the baseball game. I want to say we're looking at 1130 at night. Eddie Waitkiss goes up to the hotel room. She has a rifle 
and she pulls the trigger. Uh, he's got a collapsed lung. He ends up needing uh, two or three blood transfusions. She is sent to a mental hospital where she serves about 33 months. A lot of the electro, uh, I think it's uh, electrocution therapy, electroconvulsive therapy, where they strap things to your head and, and kind of try to set you right. Um, kind of primitive tools to, for, for mental health. Um, but she is released after 33 months. Um, Eddie does find his way back to the to the ball field, to playing baseball. Um, his life is cut short at the age of 52 or 53. He has cancer of the esophagus, and he dies in 1972. Um, and what is very typical in life, uh, she goes on to live until 2012. Um, and when I say typical, it's, it's just... In my own personal life, when I look around, I see good people dying so young, and I see these just awful, awful people that have just are not good people. They have no positive qualities, and they continue to just kind of roll with time. They kind of continue to live, and it's just it's just a really tough thing. Not that I wish bad things to happen to anybody, because I truthfully don't. But it's just ironic. When you look at who passes on and who's still around, it's just... It's head scratching. It's, but I guess that's a story for another day. But the fact that this is is based on a true story is, is amazing because I don't think a lot of people know that. I think the diehards know it. I think people that follow history probably know it. But the natural is, you know, a a sports movie classic. It's one of the few movies that is based on a true story. I shouldn't say that. There's many sports movies based on actual events, actual people. But it's really nice to know that there was a background to this, and then. Bernard Malmud writes this book, The Natural, in 1952. It's a very dark book, right? It's very dark. Um, Roy strikes out in the end. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, he's arrested. I mean, it's a very dark look at Roy's life. Um, everything that's so positive and motivating and encouraging about The Natural, uh, his book is the opposite. I mean, Roy is still a fantastic player, but it's a very dark look at Roy and um I was I was listening to a podcast that was reviewing the natural, and I couldn't have disagreed more with about all, just about all their points. And one of which was they said, "Oh, this movie needs to be remade." I have to tell you, I couldn't be more against a remake of any remake of any movie. Maybe Shawshank would be the only exception higher than this. The natural should never, ever, ever be touched, ever. Um, one day I would love to see maybe like a <clears throat> if they wanted to do like a prequel to his his time with the Hebrew Oilers as you heard from the clip at the beginning of the uh, podcast I'd be I'd be cool with that um, if they wanted to do something fun like that I'd, I'd be all right with it but changing that story changing that narrative from start to finish the natural is the best sports movie ever made ever and I'm gonna highlight a lot of points and I think by the end of this I hope I can change some of your minds a little bit so when you think of the all-time great sports movies there's a ton. So if somebody came to me and said, you know, Derek, what about Hoosiers? You know, that's got to be up there. I would have to agree with that. Hoosiers is way up there. Hoosiers is certainly top five. But for me, it doesn't it doesn't overcome the natural. And I, and I don't even think it's really all that close. Um, but I think Hoosiers is a beautiful, wonderful movie. I love it. I adore it. I've had guests from Hoosiers on, the writer and, and so forth. But the natural for me just does it. The one movie that continues to pop up, I remember, I'm not going to name the podcast, but they were reviewing The Natural. Another movie they keep bringing up that is the best sports movie of all time. And I have to tell you, for me, not just as a sports movie, but the movie that I'm about to name is not only overrated as a sports movie, it's overrated as a movie. 
and that movie is Bull Durham. I just don't get this mass appeal to this movie. Yeah, it's entertaining. Yes, there's some wonderful performances. Tim Robbins, Kevin Costner, uh, Susan Sarandon. There's some really good performances in it. But when you hold it up to like Field of Dreams or The Natural or um, yeah, just name it, um, Hoosiers, even Major League, many of the comedic sports comedies, it's just for me, it, it doesn't work at, as an upper level movie for me. I, I don't I don't understand it. But again, movies are subjective. If I'm holding if I'm holding um, The Natural next to Bull Durham for me, for me, it's not even close. The natural is to underrated what Bull Durham is to overrated. It's just it, the movie doesn't work for me. But I guess we can look at Bull Durham another time. We're here to kind of examine the best sports movie in history, The Natural. And I and I let off the podcast by giving you the true story of Eddie Waitkiss, which, which is what The Natural is based out of. And just a quick summary of the beginning of The Natural, so I can set up my points. Um, the beginning of The Natural is a uh, Roy Hobbs grows up on a farm, and he and his father. Baseball is a huge part of their lives. Roy wanting to be the best player of all time is a huge part of their conversation. Roy's father goes on to tell him, you know, talent alone is not enough. You got to keep working at your craft. You got to keep trying to hone your craft. And this this rapport they develop is just a really good part of the introduction of this movie. They build a baseball bat. They kind of construct a baseball bat from a tree that was hit by lightning. And the bat's name is Wonder Boy. I mean, that alone. And, and I know there's people out there, and I hate when people do this. Like when I watch a movie, I just want to enjoy the movie. I don't want to, you know, connect the dots. I don't want to, you know, what's the deeper meaning? I don't want to look at oh, this is based on Greek mythology, and this character is Zeus, and this character is, you know, uh, Hercules. I mean, whatever. Like I. I don't like doing that, and and I know that is a common theme here. I know, and I'm sure even Barry Levinson had that in mind. But I don't want to hear about King Arthur's King Arthur and his Round Table and and how that applies to the natural in a baseball movie. This is not for me. This is not that. This is a movie about a guy that is simply just wanted to be the best player ever. Very much like Ted Williams said publicly. You know, and that's who Roy Hobbs kind of is also based on, you know, combined with Eddie Waitkiss, I suppose. But that's all this is. I hate when people take a very basic, wonderfully done movie and make it complicated by, you know, throwing it, oh, this is based on Greek mythology, and oh, well, this is based on, you know, King Arthur, and this is based on this person's literature. It's like, Jesus Christ, can I please enjoy this sports movie? Can I please just process this without you overanalyzing and completely destroying what's good and genuine and authentic about this movie? And that's how I choose to look at The Natural, and that's how I think The Natural should be looked at. Stop connecting dots. Stop looking for deeper meanings because then a really great, in my opinion, the best sports movie of all time becomes very complicated, becomes very convoluted, becomes very watered down. And I don't like that. I think you destroy the movie by doing that. Take this movie for what it is. A phenomenal story about a guy that just wanted to be the best who suffers through adversity. What is that adversity? Well, like Eddie Wakeis. Roy Hobbs was shot by an obsessed fan, Harriet Bird, played by Barbara Hershey, um, who I met at a Comic-Con, and we kind of had a little bit of a debate about what her line to Roy was before she shot him. Um, it's something along the lines of, without looking it up, um, um, Roy, will you be the best there ever was, or something like that. I had it right. She didn't, and we went back and forth about what the correct line that she used was, but I guess that's also a story for another time. But 
Roy Hobbs' shot, and it takes him years to get back. I want to say it's 16 off the top of my head. He comes back at 35 years old. Robert Redford at the time is 47. That's almost my age right now. Uh, I'm 46. So when I look back at it, how many years I love The Natural. I've loved this movie since I, I was 19, 20 years old. Um, and I've kind of aged just loving this movie. And maybe that goes into why I think it's the best movie of all time. It's played a, a huge part of my life. You know, whether I was playing baseball when I was younger, this movie would motivate me. I coached competitive level softball, fast pitch softball for over 20 years. So it possibly motivated me from Pop's point of view, from Roy's point of view. I mean, I watched this movie endlessly, nonstop. I've, I've, I've seen this movie, I'm probably going to say as much as Shawshank. Maybe not as much, but pretty darn close. And this movie has always served for me as a just a token. A a it served as something that really motivated me. Um, something even now that I watch that just it it never gets old. I can rewatch this movie over and over and over again. The home run at the end never gets old. All this stuff never wears thin on me. And I think that is huge for why a movie can stand up as being the best of all time. But anyways, I'm getting off track here. So Harriet Bird lures Roy up to his hotel or her hotel. And she says, are you the, are you going to be the best there ever was? She shoots him. Um, 16 years later, uh, Roy comes back. And from the clip I played at the beginning of the podcast, where he's having this conversation with red and pop, the, the, the coach and assistant coach, you know, he's basically calling him middle-aged rookie. And he, he doesn't know Roy's backstory at the time. He doesn't know what Roy has gone through. And, that makes this movie very special. One, the rapport with Pop and Roy. Um, the way that ends before the big game. Not ends, but yeah, yeah, yeah I guess it comes to a bit of an ending. Where, um, And I'll go over that in a second when I, go, when I hit the great quotes comment, uh, the great quotes portion of the, of the podcast. But when, when they have this discussion at the end, this relationship has come full circle. And... Pop gets what Roy is trying to do, and Roy kind of gets what Pop is trying to do. And they're both kind of the same person in the sense that they both, like, the game has just been awful to Pop. People have been awful to Pop. He gave his heart and soul to the game. And I think there's a line that says, only to see it get it trampled. Well, that's Field of Dreams, I think. But he, he, he was just, his love for the game, people mistreated him. He's had kind of coached losing teams. He's he knows his stuff. He's never been given the you know the tools to kind of get that pennant, get that World Series. Roy was sidetracked because he was shot. So they both want the same thing, whether it's greatness or a championship. They're both the same to each individual. They're both the different kind of end game. They're both a different kind of finish line, but they're very very similar. And when Roy and, and Pop, their relationship unfolds it's just beautiful uh roy's relationship with red through the whole movie is beautiful one of the most underrated characters in this movie is red played by richard farnsworth um boy what a beautiful beautiful character that was just a guy that never bickered with anybody never not got along with everybody just was good to people good to roy when everybody else wasn't really good to roy very skeptical of roy red embraces him right away um, they're eating at a restaurant, and it's one of the most classic lines. And I'll examine this in the, again in the quote section. But he, lo- he, they're eating pasta, and he looks over at—I think it's pasta. He looks over at Roy, and he says, uh, "You can't spell it, but it eats pretty good." And it's just one of those classic lines that every time I see the movie, I have to—I have to kind of quote. But 
another one of those interesting characters. And this movie is full of great, great characters. I mean, we're going to talk more about Roy Hobbs. You look at Max Mercy, played by Robert Duvall, the the reporter that will go to no ends to find the story. Um, he 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 he's one of those reporters, and there's many of them like this today. Stephen A. Smith is like this. There are many reporters like this where they make the game about themselves. It's not about the athletes who play it. It's not about the coaches who coach it. It's about their writing, their take, their their um, their own agenda. And there's many reporters. He's the first one that came to, to my mind. Um, and that's unfortunate because I don't care what sport we're talking about. The game is about the game. The game is about the players. The game is about even the fans. The game is about all of that. The game is not about the person reporting on the game or comment. Yeah, he's a commentator and he's he's paid to give his opinions. But when the reporter slash commentator becomes bigger than the sport, becomes bigger than what he or she is reporting on, then it becomes no longer something that's, in my opinion, pleasurable to listen to. Right? It's not. It just doesn't become fun anymore because they have taken themselves um, and kind of have have this arrogance that they're bigger than what they're reporting on. It doesn't become fun anymore for me. That's my point of view. But anyways, Max Mercy is that guy in this movie. Max Mercy uh, takes joy in just kind of either making people or breaking people, and he admits that. Um, He is not somebody who loves the game and is reporting on the game. And there's been tons of those reporters over the course of history, too. Um, That is not Max Mercy. Max Mercy is not a very good person. Um, But there is one little flaw with Max, I think, in this movie. The fact that he doesn't remember Roy Hobbs after seeing him when there's an epic scene. It's one of my top five favorite scenes. When Roy strikes the whammer out at the carnival. I mean, Max Mercy, and he says so many times during the movie, I have a photographic memory. I have this wonderful memory. But he can't remember Roy Hobbs striking out what is basically the equivalent of Babe Ruth. He can't remember that. That's a, that's the only. Believe me, there's not. I, I have. I can count the negatives I have about the natural on one hand. Um, I wouldn't say that's a negative either. I just think it's a little awkward. I think it's odd, right? That this guy with this photographic memory can't remember Roy Hobbs striking out what is essentially Babe Ruth. Um, anyways, um, Glenn Close, who plays Iris Gaines, is so good in this movie. Uh, the woman in the white dress who stands up and and what is it? Who is essentially gets gets Roy back on track. Roy falls into tough times and Roy falls in love with Pop Fisher's niece, Memo Paris, played by King Bas- Kim Basinger, and they date for a while in the movie. And Pop Fisher looks at Roy and says, "Look, um, look, she's my niece and I love her, but she's bad luck. She's bad luck is what she is." and he told Roy, and, and there's no coincidence that when Roy starts dating her for a while during the movie, he goes into an epic slump, and he is brought out of that slump by Iris Gaines, who's played by Glenn Close. He is, she's the woman in the white dress um, that stands up to get Roy out of this slump. It's really a great scene that's not talked about often. That should be, you know, it's it's the I believe it's the same scene as a, the clock smashing scene when Roy hits one and it smashes the clock, but. I just think that the movie, and this is why this movie works for a lot of reasons, one of which is the unbelievable writing. The other is the characters in this movie. It is They are so great at what they do. You never doubt any of these characters are the people they portray. So Roy was dating um, Memo Paris. Um, Memo Paris's ex-boyfriend used to be Bump Bailey, for those of you who watched the movie, who di- who's played by Michael Madsen, who dies going through the right field wall, um, he is uh, Bump Bailey is uh, under 
the people that are paying him to throw games, he's under full control by gamblers. Um, he's he doesn't hustle things out. He, he loses the ball in the sun. It's like a cloudy day with no sun around at all. Um, but he's he's totally shady and one of the lesser likable characters in the movie. He dies going through the wall, which then opens up the door to um, Memo and Roy's relationship. So um, that kind of summarizes that part of the movie. Uh, Pop Fisher, played by Wilford Brimley. One of the things that people don't know, or maybe many do, but it's not talked about and it should be, is the fact that there is only one or two years age difference between Robert Redford and Wilford Brimley. Let me say that again. There is only one or a two-year age gap between Robert Redford and Wilford Brimley. And Wilford Brimley has since passed on, and he died about a year ago. You know, rest in peace, Wilford. Such a great, iconic character in this movie. Um, he has since passed, but they look like they're about twenty years apart in the movie. You know, um, so when they film this, uh, Robert Redford's forty-seven, Brimley has to be forty-eight, forty-nine. And they look about, he looks about 70, Wilford does in this movie. Not, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing Wilford Brimley's looks, but I mean, Robert Redford's one of the most handsome leading men in the history. So, but they do not look anything close in the age range that we're talking about here. But that's just kind of a tidbit that I wanted to drop. But Pop Fisher makes this movie. Pop Fisher, like, for, like I said before, in a lot of ways is like Roy Hobbs. They both have suffered through a lot of the same things, different things. But their endgame ends up being the same. Um, Harriet Bird, played by Barbara Hershey, doesn't get enough credit for this role. Uh, really plays the villain here really, really well. Um, really loved Barbara Hershey. Anything she does, she does really well. She's one of those actors that we see time and time again. You feel like, I feel like she should get more recognition than she does, right? People spend so much time on actors like Meryl Streep. But like, what about Barbara Hershey, who's just been so good? You know, and I met her at a Comic Con. We talked for five or ten minutes. I really enjoyed that time. I really valued that time. We were just talking about the natural and filming it. And she was talking about Robert Redford and her experiences. It's just she was just very pleasant, very kind, and um, just a beautiful, talented leading lady. Um, the judge, played by Robert Prosky, maybe a little bit over the top with with some of his stuff. But God, what a great character, you know, almost like a vampire, you know, uh, there's a time where Roy turns on a light and it's like, <laughs> you get that kind of feeling like, what's this dude's reaction? Is he that scared of light? Is he that? And he goes into detail about why he doesn't like the light, but um, kind of a nice little angle for for a villain. Um, Robert Prosky, who plays the judge, great, great role. We talked about Red uh, Red Blow, who is played by Richard Farnsworth, um, really love Richard Farnsworth. If if you haven't, what, this is a side note. Maybe a future, maybe examine this in, in the future. But if you haven't seen the movie called Sh- Straight Story, it's about a man who drive who hasn't talked to his brother in years, and he drives a lawnmower from his house. I want to say it's like a couple hundred to maybe a thousand miles away to see his brother, who he hasn't seen in a long time. Um, what a wonderful movie that is if you haven't seen it. It's called A Straight Story, and it might be available on Disney+. Plus. Please don't quote me directly on that, but um, I do believe it is a Disney-made um, movie. Um, it's not the typical Disney movie, the feel-good kind of, you know. It's 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 kind of, um, for Disney, it's, you know, it's not like hardcore or anything, but it's it, it's a very well-done movie, and I think people would appreciate it. So Straight Story for that. Um, Darren McGavin who was the father in A Christmas Story, the absolutely classic Christmas movie that came out in 1983. 
In this movie, The Natural plays uh, gambler Gus Sands, who can kind of almost see the future, right? Uh, Roy proves him wrong a few times. So I'm about to play a scene for you where they paid off Roy to throw the game, the the game for the pennant, and Roy gives him the money back because Roy is very much unlike Bump Bailey because Bump Bailey gladly took money from these guys for many years to blow games and not catch balls or whatever. But they attempt to try to buy Roy off. And it's a really interesting scene for a few reasons. Two things in this scene come back to remind Roy of the past. One is the gunshot by Memo Paris. And two is when Gus Sands says, Roy, you've got a gift, but it's not enough. It's the same quote that Roy's dad tells him in the beginning of the movie. And I think after he says this, I mean, Roy, his integrity is never for sale. But I think as soon as he hears that, I think we are on the highway and the expressway to an absolutely iconic ending. And it's really important that I play this clip to kind of set the context here. They are trying to buy Roy, and he wants absolutely no part of it. You look a little lost. I'm not. You dropped this on your way out. Something seems amiss. Correct me if I'm wrong, Hobbs, but we had a deal. No. Those are your winnings, Slugger. This is a gag, Hobbs. Pick it up. Get out of here. If it isn't enough money, tell us what you've got in mind. To hit away. I thought I could rely on your honor, Hobbs. You're about to. You're a foolish, foolish man. You've forgotten something. Your past. I don't care. Go on. Get on the phone. No. That won't be necessary. I like the action. Then let it ride. You bastard. You were right, Memo. We have met before. You know, you're a lot weaker than I thought. What do you think this change is? Why don't you have Max draw your picture? You can read about it in the morning paper. You're yesterday's news, kid. You got a great gift, a talent, but it's not enough. I think you're a loser. All I have to say about that is, may we all love something in life the way Roy Hobbs loves baseball in the way Iris Gaines, the woman in white, loves Roy. I mean, that is just one of the greatest scenes in the movie. Um, on, honestly, another shout-out to um, Darren McGavin, the late Darren McGavin, uh, who plays Gus Sands. He is not credited in this movie, and rumor has it is because he signed on so late um, that he would have been so far down the cast list. Uh, the, the trade-off was, you know, hey, here's your part, you know, you've got it, it's yours. Um, take it, or we can, you know, give you the same part, but you're going to be listed way down the cast list. He opted for a no credit to not be credited for the movie. Um, I'm not sure that's a great decision, by the way. I don't think it matters because his performance is phenomenal. It doesn't affect his performance. Those who see the movie know he's the driving force. I mean, we talk about there's a, there's a few villains in this movie. There's um, Harriet Bird. There's certainly Gus Sands. There's the judge. 
but the way Gus Sands is so unique, you know, he, it's almost, he's very mystical and I'm not getting into that mythology stuff, but uh, he's very mystical in, in an evil way, the way Roy Hobbs is mystical in a good way, in a positive way. So I really love, you know, Darren McGavin, the dad from A Christmas Story, like I mentioned, um, just a role that is two polar opposite roles. You know, one happens in 83, the second in 84. So a year later, he's he's doing The Natural. So just really a great job of acting, a great job of portraying a character that was vital to the movie. You know, and we talk about, you know, people in different generations always say, you know, the songs in my generation were so much better than this generation. And actually, that might be true with rock and roll. But um, honestly, they don't make, you know, one of the more popular phrases you hear is they don't make movies like Enter Movie Here. Uh, like that anymore but they really don't make movies like the natural anymore and that it just holds up so well and we talk about the scene um another actor i, I forgot to mention was joe don baker who plays the whammer um who was essentially babe ruth i might have mentioned that earlier but he is he does such a great job in the scene of those two having a, a contest of, of of strengths if you will roy as a pitcher um uh, the whammer as the hitter um, essentially Babe Ruth, but he's not portraying Babe Ruth, but it, the, the, the comparisons are close, even though he's a righty, but um, it, it's, it's, you know, the, everything about the cinematography and it, it just looks beautiful. It's stunning to look at, you know, and you know, the virus aside, I know movies, movie making now is very complicated, but just the way this movie looks, I mean, we're talking 1984 and this movie looks so good. The music works, everything works, and it's and again, not to be repetitive, but it still holds up. But you know what makes the natural special, which is an awesome question, right? I, I could start that with um, Bobby Savoy, uh, the Bat Boy, uh, played by George Wilkos. Um, great part, great little part. Um, you know, Roy makes the Bat Wonder Boy with his dad, and in the last game, Roy breaks Wonder Boy, and the Bat smashes, and during the movie, Roy has been helping Bobby Savoy, the Bat Boy, make his own bat. He sits down with the boy and just, you know, another great aspect to Roy is that he's really great with kids, right? So he sits with with uh, Bobby Savoy and he make the Savoy special. It was all, it was a beer during the '30s, I believe, but the bat itself was, you know, it was Bobby's bat. He sat down with Bobby and made him a bat. You know, as I look back on this movie and my life, you know, 30 plus years later. I'm finally starting to figure out, you know, the breaking of Wonder Boy and the making of the Savoy special is a, you know, the the breaking of Wonder Boy essentially is the end of Roy's childhood, right? And and, And the Savoy special is just like the start of something new. That's how I see it. Maybe it's a reach. But it's it's a new beginning. And the fact that he hits the bomb with the Savoy special makes one of the most dramatic ending scenes in movie history, not sports movies, in movie history, just that much more special. Savoy special. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know, I that ending, I mean, people, so people say, well, why, you, why, why would this movie be the best sports movie of all time? For a variety of reasons. I mean, first of all, Roy's career should, should have been done. He doesn't quit. He's in AAA, or sorry, not even AAA, semi-pro playing with the Hebrew Oilers, he makes his way through tons of adversity, he makes a poor choice with uh, Memo Paris, rebounds from that, connects again with his the love of his life, his, his childhood sweetheart, uh, Iris Gaines, um, 
eventually finds out they had a son together. Um, and he go, you know, the bullet wound that he had from Harriet Bird plays a huge part in him, whether he's going to play or not play in the final game. You know, Roy's in a maternity ward. And there's so many quotable things in this movie, and I'll get to those in a bit. But those things all add up. And the final scene, and, and it seems like, and I've noticed this, that during the movie, Roy either strikes out or hits a home run. I think he hit one triple. Um, another thing that, again, it's not a flaw. It's just I noticed it, and it's kind of fun to re-examine it. But, you know, the one thing that I, I really love about the final home run that gives the Knights the win is, first of all, the, the fire. The, it's not fireworks. It's, it's electricity from the bulbs exploding um, for the, from a night game. As he's rounding, you know, first, you look over in the dugout and you see the team going nuts. And then this scene, (laughs) this scene does it for me. When they focus on um, Pop Fisher, who you know has been through hell, like you know that this guy has absolutely been through the ringer. Um, He has been absolutely, his heart has been destroyed by baseball. And with one swing of the bat that has been restored, that has been repaired and as the camera is panning around the field from Roy running the bases to his teammates going nuts to the to the fans there's a shot of all the lights just exploding and the sight of the explosion you know it almost looks like fireworks but in pop in the reflection in pop fisher the manager's glasses it's one of the most beautiful scenes of any movie i've ever seen and it is a total it is a total moment of redemption for Roy, for, you know, Pop, for everybody that's been losing their whole lives. I don't know. This movie is deeper than baseball. It is so freaking good. It is so well done. And I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, that Roy and Pop Fisher were a lot alike. They were pursuing the same things, perhaps for different reasons. But there's a beautiful, beautiful scene in the locker room, maybe my favorite scene, if not top two. Because at first, the clip I played in the beginning, you see Pop Fisher doesn't take Roy seriously at all. Like, you're a middle-aged guy, dude. We're already getting destroyed as it is, so I'm going to take you on and, and, and your baggage, you know, not knowing what Roy truly has been through. But when Roy finally decides to play and he gets out of the hospital because he has the bullet wound from when he got shot from Harriet... He and Pop have a conversation in the locker room about farming and baseball. I think I might cry every time I see this. And this has been going on for, what, 35 years? You know, since 1984. Um, And here's that scene. Um, I I just think it's phenomenal and it totally adds to what I'm trying to say. Red, I wanted to win that pennant worse than I wanted any goddamn thing in my life. And you'd think I could just this once, wouldn't you? I didn't care nothing about the series. Win or lose, I'd have been satisfied. I'd have walked away from baseball and I'd have bought a farm. Nothing like a farm. Nothing like being around animals, fixing things. There's nothing like being in the field by yourself with the vegetables and the corn and the winter wheat. Greenest stuff you ever saw. You know, my mother told me I ought to be a farmer. 
My dad wanted me to be a baseball player. Well, you're better than anyone I ever had. And you're the best goddamn hitter I ever saw. Suit up. I mean, if that scene doesn't give you goosebumps, you have to check your pulse because it truly is one of the best scenes in the movie and it really makes Pops and Roy's uh, relationship come full circle. It's just so beautiful to see. It's just such a wonderful scene. And then when it comes to quotes, there's so many. I've played a lot. I've played a few clips and, you know, to reflect some of these quotations, but there's some other ones, you know, Roy talking about how there's some mistakes you never stop paying for. There's a scene where Pop wants to send down Roy to the miners and Roy basically looks at him and says, you know, I'm not doing it. I worked too hard to get here. I'm not doing it. And it's just such a turning point in their relationship and in the movie. There's a scene that is Roy is bored absolutely out of his gourd. They were listening to a therapist speak. He's talking about losing is a disease and he's talking about imagining they're on a ship gently rocking you know, I don't care what you do for a profession. You've had speakers like this that make you want to just take your brain out of your head and throw it across the room. Uh, and that's kind of exactly what Roy does. He walks right out of the room and says, yeah, no thanks. You know, take your boring stuff and go on, kick it down the road for me, will you? Um, just a great scene. Um, there's so many, you know, the scenes with his dad in the beginning. Uh, but my favorite quote in the whole movie is... Um, he's in the hospital and Iris comes to visit him and she says, um, you know, I, I believe we have two lives, the life we learn with and the life we live with after that. And it's one of those quotes in a movie that I've taken with me my entire life. Uh, I use it, I think on a few of my social media platforms as a quote, but I, I just, it, it, you can apply it to every part of your life. Anybody can do it. You know I mean? It's so true, right? I mean, you, you live your life and there's things you do and you're like, I, I should have learned from that. And, you know, as you, it's, she's basically saying, you know, I think she's saying when you're younger, you kind of do things. And as you grow older, you learn from those things, you know, the life you, you, you learn with, and then the life you live with after that. And it's just such a wonderfully powerful quote that anybody sports fan or not can appreciate, you know, and, and speaking of sports, I, I have to say, you know, there's some move, there's some sports that I really and I've said this before, that I really can't stomach um, watching. I shouldn't say stomach. It's so over the top. There's some sports I just prefer not to watch because they're just either boring or there's no appeal to them. Um, NASCAR, golf. Um, I do like figure skating, actually. Um, but the movie versions of those sports I absolutely love. You know, NASCAR, Days of Thunder, um, uh, the, the Talladega Nights, Legends of Ricky Bobby, um, I know it's not NASCAR, it's Formula One, but the movie Rush, um, there's there's uh, Ford versus Ferrari, not NASCAR, but anything car related, I love watching on the screen. There's so many good movies out there that are car related. You look at golf, I mean, almost unwatchable. Um, if you, I mean, yeah, if Tiger's in it, it's fun to watch. You know, who doesn't watch Tiger Woods play for a championship? But if it's Tiger's not in it, it's you know, let's change the channel. But for movies versions, movies that reflect golf, uh, Bagger Vance is fantastic. Greatest game ever played. Tin Cup. There's so many good golf movies. So there, I may not like a sport, and there's other sports, but I may not like a sport. 
but the effect that cinema and movies can have on that sport is is beyond words. I mean, it's it's totally beyond words. Uh, just a few more things here, kind of analyzing this absolutely wonderful movie, the best sports movie of all time. Um, the Savoy special, his bat is in the Hall of Fame. Roy Hobbs' shirt is in the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame. When I was younger, I wore out the VHS twice in this movie. Um, I do have a Roy Hobbs replica jersey. It is phenomenal. Um, right now, I'm a little bit too big for it because my carbohydrate intake is is a bit excessive at this point. But it's a beautiful shirt nonetheless. Um, so Bret Hart completely ripped off Roy Hobbs. Bret Hart's big saying was, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. Uh, sorry, Roy Hobbs had that, and you completely ripped it off. And, and Bret Hart as a wrestler was phenomenal. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's he's great wrestler. But he, come on, you have to own it when you completely rip off. I mean, that's like me saying, my, my new saying is, yeah, I'll be back. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this podcast by saying, I'll be back. You know, I mean, come on. Let's be original here, Brett. Um, but, you know, there, there was also in this movie, to, to end it, you know, there was a lightning bolt, you know, after Bump went through the wall. Uh, the, the lightning bolt they put on their shirts, really beautiful. But, but, but in the end, and not much is said of this, but Roy did want to do this to be great. He wanted to do this because he wanted to be the best there ever was. But truthfully, and it kind of goes unmentioned in a way, he wanted to do it for his dad. Right, this is a family movie if you think about it. Right, it is about family. Roy finds out he has a son, you know, with his longtime ch- childhood sweetheart Iris. Um, they had a child, you know. Um, then Roy went away to play baseball, and he had, you know, years go by. He finds out he has a child, so he has a family there. His dad gets a heart attack before they, uh, after they make um, Wonder Boy from the tree. So. Yeah, I mean, this is a family movie in, in many ways. And you add all the other elements that I've been mentioning during the podcast. For me, this movie has everything. Um, and that doesn't even include the sports aspect, which is thrilling. I mean, Roy's, the way they use Randy Newman's soundtrack is just so brilliant. And, and we've talked about the cinematography. Um, you know, if you have a, if, if I was to make a checklist of what makes a great movie, this movie hits on all of them. Whereas I mentioned earlier, earlier Bull Durham we get it. The minor leagues are zany. It's crazy. You know, it's, I don't know. The point was beat to hell and it just wasn't worth it for me um, as a movie. And that's why I'm just not high on it. Like I'm just not high. And I can't say that enough. I just, I'm not a fan, but you know, I have to say, I will go to my grave loving this movie and watching it on a semi-regular basis. I mean, I just, that's, that's what I think of this movie. It's for me, it's not just top sports movie. It's, top five all-time movie just for what it's done and i know there's a couple people that feel that way um that i know personally and um they think the world of the movie you know i have one fred ted who you know he just like me you know it was his favorite movie and then shawshank comes along and it's like well you, you got to make room for shawshank because that is the best movie of all time and he has it at two so he and i are on the same page with a lot of things as it pertains to this movie i you know, I hope you enjoyed this um, movie loft. You know, I have created this, and I, I think it's pretty original. Um, I love Dana Hersey, and that's kind of why I, I created it. I mean, I just, for no other reason. I love looking back at obscure movies, random movies that I love, that have moved me, that have changed my life, and just kind of digesting them. And 
hopefully by listening, you're taking little things away from them, you know, little tidbits, little facts. And it's not, it's, I don't just go to IMDb and, and pull from that. You know, some of the stuff comes from there, but I, I do research. I do my homework. I, I, stuff that I've just gained knowledge of over the years. I hope some of that just kind of, um, you process some of it, you've learned some of it. And I, hopefully the 45 minutes you've given me, I've, I've, it was worth it for you. And, and I greatly appreciate it. Um, again, my contact is if you want to reach me on Instagram, it is Monday Morning Critic Podcast on um, Facebook. It's Monday Morning Critic Podcast. I would appreciate a like or, or you know, a comment if you want to just comment on some of the posts I put up. Uh, on Twitter, it's MDM Critic. My web- website is mmcpodcast.com. Episodes are usually, I try to get one of these out every week. I, I have not been good at it. This is the fourth episode I've done for a movie loft. Most of my episodes are interviews. I have many of those ready to go. Um, and it's been my fault for, for the delay. I we have a, I have a lot going on in my personal life. Just had a baby. So um, right now I'm wrapping this up at, you know, two, a little after midnight. So um, I do hope you like it. I, you know, I when I make these episodes, what I do is I, I, I put it together. Um, it takes about three rounds, right? So I will put an initial round together. I listen to it when I run. I hate my voice, by the way. I hate listening to myself. And I'll do the same. I'll make adjustments. I'll, I'll do it again. I'll, I'll listen to myself again. Kind of like a if you were to type a paper for a college class, right? It just goes out edit after edit after edit. And I'm sure when I release this, I'll realize 10 mistakes I made or I was some completely repetitive. But thank you for, for sticking with me. Finally, if you like what you hear and you you know like the interviews I do normally or if you like the change of pace with the MMC Movie Loft that was paid tribute, as I've said before, to the New England TV 38 show with, hosted by Dana Hersey. If you like the way I've modernized that, if you like my podcast in general, um, I would love a great review on iTunes um, or, or, or wherever you're, you listen to podcasts. That would be great. Um, that would mean a lot to me. Um, again, I don't... Um, there are other podcasts in my category that pay for reviews, pay for people to listen, pay for downloads. Um, completely not who I am. Um, I am not a follow for follow podcast. I don't follow others because they're going to follow me. My whole take on that is if you love listening to what I have to offer, great. You know, And it, when I listen to podcasts, it's because they appeal to me. I hope this is that for you. Um, so thank you again. Again, this was The Natural 1984 uh, one of the all-time classics, um, a movie that to me will, will will never lose its luster. Thank you for listening. Let's talk soon.